Hi, Jeremy. Oh, hi, Karen. That's your last night with us tonight. It is, yeah. I'm leaving RNZ at the end of the year, and um, I'm away in two weeks' time, so this will be my last uh, Media Watch midweek. May I ask what life will hold for you? Yeah, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Uh, I I don't know how much detail you want, but about six years ago, I uh, had cancer, and then it came back two years ago, and I needed a stem cell transplant and so the thought that it might come back and I'd still be working here it was just too much for me and I felt you know I want to I want to do some things that I just enjoy so I just want to have some fun really. Well that makes a lot of sense I hope you do have some fun but what's on tonight's show? I thought I actually uh, just thought I'd talk a little bit about the kind of state of the media Um, it made me reflect knowing this was my last one I thought back to the first time I met Colin Peacock actually which was at a conference called Media Matters I'd just come back from Spain um, and was asked to speak at the conference um, and it was quite interesting I just went and looked at what I wrote it's up on the Scoop website and there's a link as always on our website um, and the Media Watch page of the RNZ website and on one level, things haven't changed. We were talking then about the crisis in the media, but at the time, my take was quite different from, I suppose, what we've been hearing recently. The corporate media still seemed pretty strong, and we were just, well, I was highly critical of what they were delivering and thinking we really needed some other models. Um, Colin actually you know, afterwards said, oh, can you come in and we'll do a, a, a Media Watch um, interview? I, you know, I said, oh, yep, sure. Um, went in, did the Media Watch interview, and it, it never went to year, so I'm kind of taking the chance now to um, to talk about some of the things <laughs> I talked to, to him about. I mean, I didn't, Why didn't it go to ear? Well, did I, you ask I, him? I have asked him, and it, I mean, I don't think he kind of thought it was complete rubbish because you know he he ended up giving me a job not that long after but um, one of the things I argued was that if there was a democratic if there was a crisis in the media it was a crisis for democracy and a crisis in democracy needs a kind of democratic answer and I had before I left New Zealand actually I was working I'd worked in comms for um, volunteer service abroad but I'd also worked for a union and so I'd seen, you know, these are democratic organisations that are owned by their members or they're owned, they're NGOs and they're supposedly democratic. We have things like um, credit unions and a whole lot of uh, democratic organisations that spend quite large amounts of money on what I think is propaganda, um, public relations, communications, whatever we want to call it. And that money, I think, could be better spent on journalism and would actually serve the interests of the members of those organisations. So I proposed at the time that those types of organisations should divert some of the money they spend currently on communications in the hope that they're going to get things into the media or they're going to keep things out of the media um, to actually paying for journalism. And I still think that we need to change the way that we look at who pays for journalism. Uh, it feels to me that we're at this kind of unique stage where it's a little bit, I was trying to think of parallels, the only one I can really think of is 1938 where we went from a health system which was privately paid for and if you were sick and couldn't afford it you didn't get care to one which was universal and paid for out of taxes. Now that was one of the first 
attempts of that in, in the capitalist world. It had obviously happened in places like the Soviet Union. Um, but there was a very strong vested interest group at the time, which was the GPs. So part of our medical system never went to a fully socialised one. And we ended up with the bizarre situation that you had to pay to go to a GP. So people put off going to the GP and then end up in hospital. So all these kind of inequities. So the reason I raised the vested interest there is I think what we're seeing now is a very, very strong push by vested interests, uh, NZME and private media, against or for a solution which is going to be good for them. Now, I'm not arguing for a socialised media. I don't want a completely state owned media. I certainly would like a beefed up public media sector but I want diversity but I'm not sure that the diversity of having two big corporates is the kind of diversity that we should be encouraging if we're making changes in the media. Um, And I think you know the minister has said that they're looking at this some form of combination of RNZ and TVNZ um, the NZME have pushed for a, some type of Kiwi share which would allow them to buy stuff. When stuff and NZME wanted to combine and were going in front of the Commerce Commission, they talked a lot about extending the runway. Um, it was a strange metaphor in my view because what they were really talking about was creating this super jumbo jet which seemed to have no chance of taking off. And I kind of felt that it would be far better if we created a whole lot of diversity in the media. Um, Interestingly, Canada has recently launched a fund, uh, $600 million, which is to encourage and try and prop up the the media sector. Um, And they're doing things like giving tax breaks for people that employ journalists, so that benefits all employers of journalists. They're giving tax breaks to people who subscribe to magazines, so you'll be able to claim back if uh, the the money that you've paid. And they are creating benefits for non-profit organisations. And that kind of thing would, would benefit organisations like Crux, which is the Queenstown-based... Um, do you mean, Jeremy, when you're saying the propaganda budgets to journalism, you mean just generally to journalism to keep things honest? Well, I, I think, I mean, let's look at another democratic organisation which currently, or democratic organisations which currently don't fund any journalism. That's local bodies. Um, so right across the country, and Phil Pennington did an interesting report earlier in the year where he said their communications budgets had increased by 50%. Now, as ratepayers, we have a very strong interest in a strong media that keeps those organisations and holds them to account. Now, I don't think any of us believe that their communications teams can hold them to account. They are employed by the councils. But as a ratepayer, I would be more than happy if they cut back on some of that communications budget and actually helped fund real journalism that reports the council in full and well and holds them to account. And I think that would be a sensible... I mean, personally, I think far too much money is being spent on communications right across democratic organisations from government, local bodies, and, like I say, NGOs, unions and others. I think that they would be much better served by having 
actual journalists um, report on those organisations. How likely is that to happen? Very unlikely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I, I also think that we should look at some way of requiring communications staff, if they're employed by us, if they are public servants, that if they feel that their employer, be it a government department or a local body, is trying to keep things that are in the public interest out of the public interest, that there should be a very easy way for them to alert a public body to that. So I think one of their primary responsibilities or their primary responsibility like ours is as journalists in the public working for a publicly funded organisation, our primary responsibility is to the public. And I think it's the same with a communications person in, say, Treasury or anything else. And so if they came across something they felt their department or their minister was actually trying to keep things out of the public eye, which really should be in the public eye, I would love it if we could come up with some mechanism that encouraged them to actually blow the whistle. Right, oh, we've got a few more minutes. Uh, anything else you'd like to get off your chest? <laughs> anything else? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, there's, there's a few, so I'm trying to think where to, where to start. Um, something worth looking at, actually, uh, on a positive note, is the local democracy um, reporting, which is something that this government did, where they gave New Zealand On Air and Radio New Zealand a million dollars to employ journalists around the country. Yes, we spoke, we spoke to one last night, Chloe Ranford oh, uh, right. from yeah. Marlborough. Yeah, so if it, now there is a, a section on the RNZ website. I think it's really worth going to have a look at that. Um, I read, and I can just mention it, it, when I think was thinking of leaving the job, actually, I went back to a piece written by Alison McCulloch. She's a former RNZ journo, went over and worked for the New York Times. But in 2015, she wrote a, a great article, in my view, um, they're very jaundiced about the mainstream media. And she went right back to Upton Sinclair. Upton Sinclair, some people will know as the author of The Jungle. It was a novel. He first tried to write it as journalism that exposed the meatworks in Chicago, a classic piece of work which he, he said that he aimed for the heart of America and hit them in the stomach because there was all these inquiries about the health conditions and very little about the working conditions he was at a committed socialist and a few years later he wrote a kind of follow-up or a, a book called The Brass Check which was a exploration of how the media works and the corporate media in America at the time so this is in 1919 I think and things are it, it's remarkable for how similar they are but there's a, a link to that article um, if anyone wants to read it on the Media Watch page. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. I guess we could call that your valedictory speech. I suppose it was, yeah. <laughs> yes. Lovely text coming through. Jeremy's a fine journalist, so you leave in good stead. And we really appreciate you having joined us on Lately. And enjoy the next part of the trip. Will do. Hey, thanks very much. It's Jeremy Rose, Midweek Media Watch, and as Jeremy said, it's his last Midweek Media Watch, but uh, he'll still be on Media Watch until for two more weeks uh, on the programme.